Welcome to Comfortable Place on the Couch, a short-run podcast exploring every Midnight Oil album in the year of their Great Circle Tour. My name is Darren Folds, and in the upcoming months, I'll be spinning every Midnight Oil studio album from my comfortable couch, as well as taking a listen to some of their EPs, live recordings, and video releases. Joining me each episode is my longtime friend and fellow Midnight Oil enthusiast, Robin Harbrin. Good evening, Mr. Harbrin. Well, hello there, Mr. Folds. And how is your bass doing tonight? Uh, my bass is not very chorusy, which is how I like it. Robin, we've just been listening to the fourth Midnight Oil studio album, 1982's 1098. What do you think we're going to be talking about this episode besides... What to refer to this album as? Countdown? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1? Yeah. 10 to 1? Apparently, at least some people in the band do call it 10, 9, 8, or the producer, Nick Lane. Oh, okay. Is it Nick Lane? Lane? Is that how we say it? That's how I say it. Good. Uh, it re- does refer to as 10, 9, 8. Certainly fans in Australia appear to call it 10 to 1 yep. often. Do, does, have you ever heard anyone call it Countdown? I've never heard anybody call it Countdown. Heard it here first. D- do you call it Countdown? No, I call it 1098. And I always thought that you and I just kind of called it 1098 because we didn't have anybody else telling us what to call it. Yeah. And it made sense to us for some reason to That's call right. it 1098. That's right. I was kind of surprised by the 1021, but yeah. of course it makes sense. Uh, but then uh, I, I've been reading a bit and apparently 109, some official people, some people who made the album, do call it 10, 10, 9, 8. What else do you think that we're going to be talking about besides the name of the album? Besides that, uh, we're going to be going through the songs like we usually do, yep. but there's going to be an extra emphasis on what happened in the studio mm. while they're recording this album, because uh, as I'm sure the listeners are aware, this uh, album was a huge step, mm-hmm. or a huge change at yes. least. Uh, not necessarily... Could be a step backwards. Some people might think that. Uh, yeah, certainly a, it was a big change in the studio, what went on uh, compared to the relatively simple recording of the previous albums. That sounds exciting. Should we get to it? Let's get to it. But just in case you thought we could jump straight into the discussion about 1098, we've got some business arising from last episode. Okay. I believe I alluded to in the intro of last episode that we were going to be talking about the best Midnight Oil song to date. (laughs) Yes. And then I never actually declared what I thought was the best song to date. I think that happened. And we had a few people, more than a few people, asking about it. It's nice to know that people pay attention to the things that we say and point out our mistakes. Yes. (laughs) I guess I just figured it was so obvious that the best song to date was Lucky Country that it didn't need to be said. Yeah, and I I think we did both say that's her favorite song. Didn't we both go, hey, this is my favorite song. Yeah, this is my favorite song too. We may have. Lucky Country. Yeah, we may have. But that doesn't mean it's the best. That's true. And maybe maybe we actually did talk about it and in the editing process. It it happened to get cut. Yeah, exactly. So... You'll For note my that, money. yeah, Dar- Darren actually puts a lot of effort into editing these episodes down to under an hour. Especially when we ramble on for over two hours. Yeah, sometimes it's two hours. And so think of the time he's saving you. <laughs> but occasionally, uh, you know, there's a little, little price to be paid. Yep. Another thing. Robin, apparently you don't like Midnight Oil or bass guitar. <laughs> Something like that. 
Yeah, uh, just to clarify, if I say something negative, like Midnight Oil is my favorite band ever. Are you sure about that? Are you sure you even like them? Well, some people might question if I even (laughs) like them at all. But as far as I'm aware, uh, I've been a huge fan for 30 some 30 years but just because they're my favorite band that doesn't mean that therefore my favorite bassist is from my favorite band we don't have to get into that tonight we don't have to get, <laughs> no but just just to clarify and yeah. that doesn't mean i have to like every sound choice they made or of every course. yeah so um you know just because i'm not a big fan of wind chimes played by drummers yes. in certain songs doesn't mean that I don't think Rob Hurst is fantastic right. and that I don't really, really like Koala Sprint. Yes. You know, some folks were saying I was really hard on the chimes. Those chimes. Speaking of chimes, can we move on? Yeah, yeah we can. Okay. We've established Robin likes bass guitar and Midnight <laughs> Oil. And I even like all three Midnight Oil bassists. Oh, yeah. I was um, re-watching the gig from Selena's this week. Oh, yeah. And uh, they played Koala Sprint at that Coogee Bay Hotel. Oh, the Coogee. Coogee. And you know what? What? No chimes. <laughs> Just hit the cymbal. Right on. Yep. You saw it, eh? Yep. So, you see, in 2017, even even Rob agrees. Maybe he, maybe he hit the cymbal under duress. He really wanted to play the chimes. Do you chimes. think everybody else in the band told him, Rob, put those chimes away? Maybe the roadies... Maybe it was never Rob's idea in the first place. Anything else that we need to clarify? Any other business arising from past episodes? I kind of think there was something else on Twitter. Unfortunately, we haven't been strictly keeping track of the number of guitar solos. And I again confess that I overstated at the beginning, uh, like during the Blue Meanie, mm-hmm. uh, how rapidly the guitar solos drop off. They've actually been dropping off more slowly. Yeah. Album by album. And and you know, when it comes down to it, we're not experts. We're just a couple of guys (laughs) sitting in my basement, spinning some oils records and having a chat about it afterwards. This is true. You get what you pay for, folks. Yeah. We're not promising that anything that we say is true. Wow. I think I could make that promise that at least some of what we say is true. Yeah. Yeah. But there's no need to. Nineteen eighty-two rolls along. You go down to the record store. You pick up the Oils' newest album, Ten Nine Eight. You come home. You stick it on the turntable, <laughs> and these guys who love head injuries are saying, "What in the world am I listening what? to here? What is this? This, in some ways, this is such a different sounding album. Yeah, it's very different sounding, especially like the opener, Outside World. Yeah, not to name names, but boy, it's like." Where's the guitars? There are no guitars. What band is this with these spacey sounds and synthesizer sounds? Now, if Peter Garrett didn't have such a distinct voice, you might not know this was the Oils at all. Mm -hmm. We do realize it's him singing. Yeah, Yeah, he sings, and you can tell that it's Pete, so you say, oh yeah, it is the Oils. Right after that, you launch into Only the Strong, you say, oh yeah, I recognize this band. This is the energy that I'm used to. Yeah. Okay. Things, things are going to be okay. <laughs> We're okay here. I was taken a little bit back by Outside World, but I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Why, why, why is this sounding so different, Robin? Well, I guess this young producer they picked up, Nick 
Lane, uh, really took the oils in a new direction. Uh, he had listened to the oils, but actually he had heard Place Without a Postcard, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, but it just had such a, I guess, such a normal sound, such a clean sound. Right. Uh, so just... Um, regular. So regular. And so that didn't really do it for Nick. Nick really liked kind of off-the-wall stuff, yep. bizarre stuff. But then he saw them play live mm-hmm. and saw just how, just the crazy energy and everything that was sure. there. And that's what got him interested in them. And it's not like the band, it's not like Jim didn't want to try new things. I, and, you know, not like I'm just throwing it all upon Jim, trying all sorts of new things. I think the band likes to try new things. Yeah. So they were probably coming into the, into the recording process saying, okay, we want to kind of continue down that road that we started down with Place Without a Postcard and see where, see how much further down we can get. So sonically, yes. there's like at least as much, I think that there's a, at least as much growth and change between Place Without a Postcard and 1098 as there was from head injuries to Place Without a Postcard. Maybe even more change yeah. sonically. Yeah, yeah, like, I don't know if anything sounded like it at the time. Uh, certainly, he made the studio part, yep. of, like another instrument, yep. uh, and the band kind of conformed to that a lot. Uh, certainly, I, I don't think they can play a lot of these songs live mm. and make it sound like the studio recording, sure. um, but that's that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, but in a way, we're going back like the way head injuries had some studio trickery going on yep. on it. Yep. Uh, this is this is like that, but like ten times, you know. I remember listening um, as I was walking and listening one day, thinking, you know, this is almost like the Sergeant Pepper's of Midnight Oil albums. Um, lots of different sounds, lots of different experimentations, lots of songs running one into another. Yes. Um, and even right now. Um, just before we started recording, we were talking about the album cover itself. Yes. Um, cause it's some neat art on there and it's like this collage technique used to put together the album art. The songs are like that too. You've got yeah. layer upon layer of different sounds, yeah. things that you wouldn't normally expect to be played beside each other, just kind of button up against each other or layering over each other in the songs. That's right. They are like a collage and, uh, I, I started making a list what, like as much as I like place without a postcard, there wasn't a lot to say about each song sonically. Right. Uh, at least that's what I was finding when I was I was intently listening to it, but I just I knew the songs so well. Ten Night Eight I've probably listened to almost as much uh, in the past, mm-hmm. but then when I actually sat down and listened intently to each song and just it was just endless the little details yeah. that come up. There's just always responses, one-off sounds, or mm-hmm. something that you only hear two or three times total in a song. And at the same time, there's also these new things that they put in that they they bring back in different songs. Like there's this kind of uh, rising siren sound that we both noticed, that yeah. I'm sure everyone notices, that comes back over two or three different songs. Yeah. The way they use the inside of a piano. Yes. Pull, the album is pulled together. Oh, yeah. Rather than apart yep. by all these different sounds uh, because they are reused uh, from song to song. Yep. So they traveled to London to work with Nick Lane yeah. to make this sonically diverse album. It, it was recorded in the Stone Room in the Townhouse, which is where uh, 
records by Jam, Phil Collins, yeah, X- yeah. XTC. Really? Phil Collins was recorded there? Apparently. Okay, because well, I want to talk about Phil Collins later on. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, XTC and Simple Minds and others. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm aware that Nick has recorded a lot of great 80s bands. And so yeah. it was neat to, like, I was just thinking, oh, Nick Lana, he's the guy that makes oil sound great. Yeah. In my mind, it's like, oh, he makes all these other bands sound great too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or he just works with really good people. Yeah. And uh, so here's a quote from Nick again from the book, uh, Midnight Oil, The Journey, Beds Are Burning by Mark Dodgson. My approach was not, are the songs together? Are the arrangements together? It was more, I want them to sound raw and louder than anything on earth. And I want to sound different to any rock record out there. I want to be original. And I wasn't thinking of the words cutting edge, but that's basically what it basically is. And it was at just the right time they needed someone to come in and mess things up, put a spanner in the works. Hmm. So he has had this deliberate, let's let's do something new. Let's really shake it up. This Some people really liked it. I think most people really like it. It was a huge hit in Australia. We yep. should mention that. It had some singles here in North America, or at least in the US. For, for the initial launch it was huge in australia and barely known yeah. outside at least for the first uh first year or whatever six yep. months but it was so big that it became it, it really was their first radio hits okay. uh mainstream radio hits in australia yeah and mm-hmm. it ended up on the charts for like two years or something like that ridiculous really? in australia yeah. yeah it was just and we might as well mention apparently the oils were in a lot of financial trouble because place with a postcard did relatively poorly mm. and presumably cost a fair bit to make. And this is what kind of brought them back. Perhaps if this had failed. Maybe that would have been it. The oils might have been done for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as, as a business. Before we go any further into this, it sounds like we're getting into our discussion of the, of the first part of the album where we like to overview the album, talk about the sound and the lyrical and the musical themes, how the album flows so, by way of reminder, here's what 10987654321 sounds like.
that totally is sonically something brand new for my oils ears as I'm doing my year through listening to the oils one album at a time in chronological order. And I will confess, mm-hmm. getting prepared, it's only three weeks until they play in Toronto. Yeah. I feel like I need to be listening to Diesel and Dust and Blue Sky Mining yeah. and Earth, Sun and Moon. I think you're going to want to. So I did put on Diesel and Dust this weekend and the family listened to it in the car. All right. And Jen said, that's boy music. Boy music? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did, did that get defined any better? What, what is boy music? She said, yeah, you know, like Rush. <laughs> the kind of music that boys like. Exactly. Okay. And my young boys in the backseat were bobbing their heads yeah. and stomping Just along, like they so. do to Rush as well? I don't know that I've played them much Rush. And it may have even been when we were listening to 1098 that she said, oh, this is boy music. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I believe that. That's... So lots of different sounds going on in this album, but lyrically... How are you finding this album? I find that there's there's a pretty fair split between what is probably the the main theme of the album, uh, like nuclear concerns, and then other calls um, calls to activism, maybe even a love song in there. How do you find the album holding together lyrically? Lyrically, it's fine, but <laughs> it's good. Yeah, but, but uh, place without a postcard had such a good sense of Australia, mm-hmm. uh, and it had this. What I thought was a stronger storytelling aspect, I, I really like storytelling, images, uh, sometimes they were just snapshots, but sometimes they were uh, longer, slightly longer stories, but I really feel when I listen to Place, there's very much the sense of, um, yeah, of, of story and place. I don't get that nearly as strongly. Uh, this album is more outward looking i think mm-hmm. at the whole world mm-hmm. it's concerned with things at home oh yeah but it doesn't uh paint that picture of home okay um yeah even though it does drop maybe not necessarily australianisms but um australia places and some terms that may not oh, yeah. be understandable to well, yeah not as easily understandable to non-australians that, that's right it definitely isn't trying to be in america like them faking that they're oh, yeah. Americans yeah. Or, or English or yeah. anything. When you're sitting under the shadow of the nuclear bomb in the early 80s, it's hard not to treat it as a global issue. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's 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 totally valid. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's right. Yeah, and I don't mean it as a criticism. No. Just as a as an observation. Yep. Uh, and then looking at it as a, as a piece of art. Well, mm-hmm. the, lyric, the lyric, the art of the lyric. Mm-hmm. Maybe it lost a little bit of the art mm-hmm. uh, in being more direct yep. in some of what it's saying. Yep. Yeah, sometimes there's there's an enjoyable part to, I don't want to say vague or obscure lyrics, but but needing to spend time with it and try to figure, oh, what are they really trying to say with this? Whereas it seems like the lyrics in 1098 are a little bit more on the surface. Yeah. How about the flow of the album from beginning to end? Lyrically. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was being taken on a journey or yeah. a trip or anything the way um, well, I keep referring to place. Yeah. Musically, it really flows. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's got the peaks and valleys that I love in yeah. an album. With... It starts out, it doesn't start out with the heavy hitter. Yeah. Outside World really keeps it, keeps it yeah, low keeps for it the down. beginning. And basically no guitars until the very 
last little movement of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it, it bursts in to only the strong and it keeps things pretty upbeat for short memory and read about it. Dives down a little bit for Screaming Blue. Yes. It's got this neat, moody, atmospheric thing going yeah. on. And then side two, U.S. Forces is uh, pretty, pretty driving. Pretty huge strum along. Yeah. And the thing is, this album is showing us that you don't have to be, hey, Martin, stomp on that uh, overdrive pedal. You don't have to do that to get some big rock and sounds. You yeah. can do it with six acoustic guitars. Yeah, that's right. I didn't remember as much acoustic guitar being on the album until I got to it. It's like, oh yeah, there is a acoustic guitar all over the place. Like it's, it's genuine, authentic. Not that you can't be genuine and authentic with an overdrive pedal. Yeah. But you know, you got, there's some real natural sounding instruments going on in this album. Whereas I was thinking, oh yeah, I can't wait to get to 1098 because that's where it's going to be all overdrives and keyboards and stuff like that. hear all those 80 synths and all that. And while they're there, there's so much piano going on. There's so much acoustic guitar going on. We've got violins. Yeah, real violins. Yeah, lots of drums, lots of real percussion going on. Lots of heavily processed drums at the same time too. Yeah, so lots of really neat things going on that way. Yeah. Yeah, and and maybe we should talk about that acoustic guitar sound now because it applies to several songs. Yeah. Nick Lane says that like his his technique for recording the acoustic guitar he wanted this huge acoustic guitar sound and the way he got it was having both jim and martin you know like face each other mm-hmm. uh, around one microphone and they strummed uh, together so perfectly uh, in time that just sounds like one guitar oh, yeah. and then he had them do it again and again so you've got four or six guitars total mm-hmm. like uh, martin playing maybe a martin acoustic guitar and jim playing a fender mm-hmm. and the two of them together uh so tightly that just sounds like this giant single guitar and then nick thought wow this is such a great trick and it works so well yeah but this is when he realized what great guitarists and what great rhythm uh both jim and martin have he figured, oh, I can do this all the time. Hey, guys, he's recording a new album with a different yeah. band. And he's like, okay, guys, I got this trick. We're going to make your acoustic guitar sound awesome. Okay, here, this is how we do it. Yeah. And you know, he, he found that none of these other guitarists could play tight enough to make this trick work. And as if tight one could, as Jim and, and Yeah, they, they could do it so tightly that sound like a giant guitar. If you don't do it perfectly, it sounds garbage. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, so That's he's really just like, cool. yeah, so Nick's like, oh, Oh, I guess this trick doesn't work after all. Just for the oils. Only for the oils. For you guys. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. This is the part of the podcast where I get to ask Robin about the bottom end. The bottom end. Mr. Harbin, what stood out to you in 1098 when you think about the bottom end? Peter Gifford got to play some more melodic and interesting bass lines on this album. Mm hmm. Uh, I have a theory that Nick uh, allows a bass player to do his thing uh, as a producer more than the other producers. I think I will present my case in full. I think on future, no, no, future albums is where I'm going to state my case about what various producers do, positive or negative, Mm -hmm. to our favorite bass players in Midnight Oil so we will get to that more, but I think Nick yep. is the best producer 
that the Oils have had as far as the bass player is concerned about allowing okay. the bass player to do his thing. Yes. Yes. And what kind of things did you hear? Yeah, so at the end of uh, Only the Strong, this new theme, the acoustic guitar comes in and then this very melodic bass line gets to just kind of run the rest of the song. Bassman, you're the melody now. Yeah. And uh, the lead guitar is doing some stuff. Yeah. But it's just very much this uh, melodic bass line. So that's a favorite bit. Read about it. Uh, at the end of it, there's these big slidey bass lines where they're all going. In Scream and Blue, yes. there's, there's some fun stand-up bass like yeah. double bass yep. uh like acoustic acoustic big six foot tall something that you might see in an orchestra somebody maybe with a bow playing it yeah a sit like a symphonic a jazz but, well, it's, club it's, or it's, something. that's right like, so like a, from a jazz club yeah uh, or even a bluegrass band yeah, for that matter yeah, for sure I guess Peter Gifford played that himself. There's He's got no other There's credits. nothing else to see in the credits. So I'm impressed if he did play those parts himself because they sound really well, mm-hmm. well done. And that's not to diss Peter Gifford. Just those of you who do not play bass, mm-hmm. most of the time we're listening to an electric bass mm-hmm. guitar on a rock and roll album. Yep. And that is a related but still different skill set than playing a sure. stand-up bass. Sure. You're playing an upright bass where... Something more vertical rather than yeah, horizontal. Yeah, the fretboard is coming up and, you know, usually goes right up to your shoulder. Uh, it's fretless, mm-hmm. which means... Um, you don't know exactly. You can't just look at it and say, oh, my finger goes right at this spot where yeah. a piece of metal goes across the neck of the bass. You have to know where to put your finger in this big, vast, six-foot piece of ebony or whatever bases are made out of. Yeah, not probably, ebony. probably <laughs> not ebony, but yeah. So it, it very much is a different skill set. So if Peter Gifford had like a second life as a stand-up, bassist or just picked it up there in the studio impressive uh maybe they did bring a studio musician just to do those parts i don't know yeah um but they're not credited no and and other people are credited the violinist is credited yeah it looks like the brass section is credited maybe they had the violinist maybe maybe but yeah anyway well done to whoever played the stand bass and I, i hope It'd be extra cool if it was Peter Gifford. Yeah. U.S. forces. Again, uh, there seems to be a pattern in these songs where there's uh, there are fun bass bits yep. at the end of a lot of these songs. It's kind of like, okay, you can cut loose now. Yeah. You know, do your thing. Yep. And, uh, we'll and just that's fade where we you out if we need to. Yeah, we'll just get rid of that if we don't want it. <laughs> but that's not my favorite. Oh, what is album. your favorite bottom my f- end? My favorite bass bit has to be Power and the Passion. 
Oh yeah. Is absolutely full of good stuff. Yep. Right, right throughout the song, the bass is a huge part of what defines this song in particular. Mm-hmm. And especially I love that whole ending. There's a, a full minute of where the horns kick in yep. for the last minute of Power yep. and the Passion. Uh, and the bass gets to go all over the place yeah. during that. Hey, Darren, what's your favorite drum bits on this album? Well, you can't say that the big drum solo in Power and the Passion is not the drum solo pinnacle so far. You have to recognize that, and you could spend 20 minutes dissecting what's going on in that drum solo. You could, yes. I probably could, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to say, hands up, everyone who has air-drummed along with that solo. I see everybody's hands up. I see those Everybody, we all have our hands up. Of course you do, because that is such an awesome solo to drum along with in your brain. (laughs) In your brain. Scream and Blue, you don't think of it as a drum-heavy song, but Scream and Blue Part 2, with all that thundery drumming sound. I love the thunder drums. It's fantastic sounding. Only the Strong has a lot of fun drum stuff going on. If I got to choose my favorite drum song, it would be only the strong. Well, yeah, lots of fills all over the place and lots of extended under the Pete Garrett screaming stuff going on there. Yeah, that there's just a spark when I'm locked in my room, but it's all syncopated. Drums and yeah. vocal together. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the drum mimics the vocal emphasis. Yes. Yeah. Emphasis. Yeah. You could easily convince me that only the strong should be my favorite drum song as well. Okay. Except for that drum solo. Except for that drum solo. You can't not recognize that. I mentioned earlier that I was surprised. Well, I was intrigued to hear that Nick worked with Phil Collins. Yeah. Because. The drums are so processed. A lot of the drums are very processed on this album. They're they're very gated drums, mm-hmm. right? So only a certain volume yes. makes it through the gate. Exactly. So you don't hear drums have a really sudden attack, but they trail off. So what a gate does, yeah, is it waits until you hear that full volume of the drum, and then you start hearing the sound. And then as soon as it drops below a certain threshold, it cuts it out completely. So you get these these mechanical, not mechanical, but you get like a very staccato, abrupt, You only hear loud, the loud part. You only hear the loud part. And the wind, the ashes fly. 
and that's something that Phil Collins is known for. Oh, what's his song? In the Air Tonight? Exactly. That's the one where they have the Cadbury Gorilla <laughs> drumming for the, the ad. The Cadbury Gorilla? Yeah, gorilla? They're, they're doing oh. like this commercial for oh, I don't uh, need to see it. chocolate bars, and there's this gorilla drumming. <laughs> yeah. I, I, just I didn't know make Phil sure... sold out that badly. Oh, man, he totally did. And now, when, when we say we're only hearing the loud parts, actually what we're saying is that the effect is only allowing the loud part to go through, but then they might artificially create their own trails, their own yep. echo. Yeah. Anyway, you get this this highly processed sound. I think Phil Collins made it very popular in the drum solo for In the Air Tonight Yeah. with the monkey. <laughs> so do you think Nick was behind uh, that or that was... I don't, I we don't, don't know. We'd I don't know, but... Research. Because, but because you mentioned Phil Collins yep. and Nick Lane together, I thought, oh, well, I wonder if there's a connection, you know. It makes sense because he's using that effect yeah. to great effect throughout the album. Also sounds like he's using electro- an electronic kit in Power and the Passion a bunch too. Yeah, it's almost like there's two drum tracks where there's an electronic kit yep. and then his, him playing his real kit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and there's also, it, in some songs, I can't think of what one it is right now, but there's the, uh, the woodblock cowbell type thing going along as well. Somebody's got to be playing that. So lots of, like as we're talking about, layered textures throughout the whole album you have it happen in the in the drum tracks as well yeah said we weren't going to talk about drums for 20 minutes yeah so we're not going to okay good job i think it's time to take a quick break and then we can start pulling apart some songs right on you've just about made it to the halfway point of the podcast congratulations you know, we had no idea if anyone would listen to a Midnight Oil podcast when we started this up a couple months ago. But every time we release a new episode and you guys take the time to listen to it, well, that's pretty cool. So thanks for listening. If you want to contact us, maybe you've heard us mispronounce something or perhaps you've got some comments on the show or the record we've just been spinning, please do. There's a contact form on our website as well as show notes. You can find them at darrenfolds.com podcasts. Robin and I are both on the Twitter, at Darren the Folds and at Robin Harbin. As well, there's a great Midnight Oil fan community on Facebook called Powder Workers that we hang out at. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do that on either iTunes or Google Play Music. Just search for a comfortable place on the couch and click the subscribe button. And if you feel so inclined, rating and reviewing the podcast really helps to promote it in searches, and that helps other Midnight Oil fans find us. So thanks again for making this podcast a lot more than just two guys spinning Minnet Oil Records in the basement. And maybe we'll see you in a few weeks at an oil show. All right, back to Comfortable Place on the Couch, a Midnight Oil podcast. Robin and I are talking about 1098 tonight. Let's talk about more about the Power and the Passion, because was that the first single that came out? It went the highest. Yeah, that was their big hit. Okay, yeah, so for Power and the Passion, the only thing I don't like about it isn't the song. Mm-hmm. It's the title that mm. headlines, especially during Garrett's uh, political career, Sure, uh, every headline involving Peter Garrett worked the power, power and, and the passion. passion. You know, whether it was positive or negative yeah. or whatever. Oh, they were always using it, and I hated it. Even though I... 
I'm here in Canada. Did we mention before I lived in Australia in 77, 1977, and in 1987 at the age of 14, went mm-hmm. to high school in Australia for one year. I was in... Uh, was, Wollongong. I was in Wollongong in 77 and in Perth. Oh. Uh, actually caught a slow Western Australia and went to Hollywood High. If anybody listening went to Hollywood High... That would be neat, eh? I want to hear from you. And the the couple things I've continued, obviously the Oils and a few other Australian bands. Cricket. I follow Cricket. Uh, and uh, I kept following Peter Garrett's career and uh, just Australian politics. Mm-hmm. And so when they use power and the passion. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. So, okay. But that's not their fault. No. That's everybody else's fault. It is everybody else's fault. And the other crazy thing is that power and the passion is like five five minutes and 40 seconds, almost six minutes. Yep. And yet it's this huge hit. Oh, yeah, totally. It's like almost a pop hit. Yep. I've just got another quote from Nick. The drumbeat for Power and the Passion was kick, snare, hi-hat for six minutes. Yep. So we put that down and just built the song up. It wasn't done as a live song. To us, it was a joke. We're doing a disco song. <laughs> it was talked about like, this will be really funny. It's very danceable. I imagine it's not going to throw anybody off like those strange 7-4 beats. That people don't know when to jump up or jump down to, like you were yeah. talking about a few episodes back. I guess it really is, though. The Oils have never done anything like outside world, the synth-heavy song. Yep. Nobody's ever, they've never sounded like that before. No. And the Power and Passion with kind of this dance song. Yep. They've never done that before either. Not in that yeah, way. Yeah, it's, it's really poppy. I don't know that I would categorize it as disco, but, you know, if Nick thinks it's kind of disco-y and that's kind of the effect they were going for. Yeah. He's the guy, not me. He it's, is the guy. It's definitely like, like my boys like this song. They sit in the backseat of the car and they clap along to the whole thing. It's yeah. it's easy to enjoy and to get into rhythmically. It's up, down, up, down, yep. up, down, you bop, know. Bop, yep. Yep. Horns. Yes. So we're talking about that ending. Yeah. Yeah, that ending. So here's a full minute of ending. Can you imagine? A full minute of horns to end this pop single. Yep. That's already been going on for four and a half minutes. Let's throw it a minute. Yeah, of we need horns. a minute of ending of horn horn ending. But it's it's really powerful. Like those horns just grab you, and it's like, oh man, horns! <laughs> I almost got tricked into thinking they did a whole octave of key changes at the end here. But I was corrected by my daughter. Who said, no, Dad, they are not changing the key. I'm like, I'm sure they are. And she's <laughs> like, no, they're not. They're just kind of cycling around. Yeah. They climb, then they go back down, then they add an octave above. Yeah, and, and then the they horns. bring in some more horns yeah, later on. Yeah, keep adding more horns. Yeah. And- <laughs> Thing that I forgot to mention about the drum solo though is it shows just how confident and not in an arrogant way Rob is with his drumming like he's got this fantastic drum solo going on yeah. here and what happens at the end of it which by the way he claims that he did it in one take I believe it he just went to a room 
and he hit things. But what I was going to say yeah. was, you've got this fantastic thing, and instead of saying, I'm the drummer, and this is my drum solo, and I'm going to end it like I mean it. By, like, hitting all the crashes in the world. Whatever you're going to do, you yeah. get Pete. Uh-uh. Yeah. And allowing your lead vocalist to do that, that just shows, you know what? This is so classy. It's very classy. Yeah. Before we leave Power and the Passion, what, mm-hmm. do you, what do you think it's about? I think the the lyric that really sticks with me most from this song is the quote from the uh, Mexican revolutionary Emiliano Zapata. And he was the guy who said, it's better to die on your feet than to live on your knees. So whatever it happens to be about... I think the song is a call to take action about whatever your issue happens to be. In a lot of the songs on the album, I think the oils throw lots of stuff at you, in some cases in very rapid-fire succession. You can have like a ton of different issues touched upon. Take your choice, get angry about something, and take action and do something about it. Power and the Passion, what is it about specifically? I'm not sure. I think that we're in the middle of a trilogy... Of, of mm-hmm. nuclear songs. U.S. forces, Power and the Passion, Maralinga. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm sure it's got something, at least that's an option for something, for somebody to take action on. When I read like even the first lines, and I know you take a different take on that, and that's okay. People wasting away in paradise. I'm thinking about, okay, are these the indigenous people who are affected by the UK nuclear tests? So what Maralinga is about. Definitely what Maralinga yeah. is about, yeah. Um, so yeah, pick your issue and take some action, show some passion about it. Do you think that's what take all the trouble that you can afford? Is, is that an encouragement or is that a criticism? Or is it a, you've taken all the trouble that you can afford. Now it's time to do something about it. At least you won't have time to be bored. Yeah. What do you think it's about? Well, yeah, it seems like it's about kind of a lucky country where you have this, um, here we are in paradise, Australia yep. being paradise, sure. uh, and yet, you know, what are we doing with it? It's a, it's a waste. It's the, the U.S. Uh, the Western excesses. Yeah. Um, you know the, uh, in every home a Big Mac. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely get that in in like the. That's the third verse. Yeah. But but even, even the second verse talking about you know just, almost seeking. I don't want to say seeking pleasure, but, you know, just enjoying the good life, going for your holidays at the beach. Yeah. Going out camping in your caravan. Yeah. Sitting out in the cricket field with the zinc cream. Uh, well, in the, well, you could be in the field, but <laughs> in also stands. in the stands or yeah. just in the, uh, on, you know, on the hillside and the smaller uh, ovals where they don't even have stands. They just have these grassy okay. hills. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and you just lie there with your, yeah. you know, out in the sun, watching out in the, the sun, game, slowly all watching weekend. the game. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All week, even. In that. the last verse, you, you're even talking about perhaps even a delinquent dad at, at some point. So you've got, you've got various things that you can be angry about and do something about. Yeah. So what is the power and the passion? Yeah. Is, is the power and the passion two things that are united together? They can be. Yeah. Or are they, are they two things that are almost opposed to each other? Like, yeah. Do you have like these powerful forces aligned against you and you must, and you've got your, your passion. Oh, no, you've got his passion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Or it could be something united together. You know, you've got a passion about something. Let's take some action with it. That can be your power and start doing something with it, fighting against it. Yeah. 
so we may as well keep talking about the trilogy if, we, sure. if we're thinking there's a trilogy here. Yeah, well, let's back up to U.S. Forces because yeah. it was the other single too, right? Yes. You've got feelings of uh, U.S. military colonialism yeah. in the song that you can even pick up things from uh, short memory and, and kind of read some of those type of things into this situation. There's certainly, at least with some people, was resentment about, you know, allowing U.S. military to operate in your own country. Yeah. And while the U.S. was going, you know, into so many countries, yep. if, if you're an ally, well, you'll let us set up a base yep. here. Canada included. Yeah, Canada's included there. With yep. the distant, with the dew line, the distant early warning listening stations. Uh, yeah, I always just think of like the U.S. military steamroller just coming in and doing what they want, wherever they want. And so this is just one of these these songs just to kind of get the listener riled up about it and say wait this is wrong what's going on this song does seem extremely literal yep um the u.s forces give the nod that's a setback for your country yep surprise surprise this was not the single released in the states how about that how about that the states got read about it in place of u.s forces with outside world but before we talk about Read About It, which is really interesting, especially musically, U.S. Forces, This is we're starting the second side of the album yeah. um, with uh, acoustic guitar and these orchestra hits, probably synth orchestra hits. Yes. The whole song is is very powerful and very driving, but not re- it's, it's definitely not one of the electric guitar distortion kind of songs. Yeah, that, that's right. It's... Uh... Very much this driving acoustic guitar that we talked about. Uh, not one guitar, six or four yeah. or six guitars. Yep. And uh, just that constant kick drum going. Yep. I think that this is, in my ears, this is the least produced drum sounding song on the album. The most authentic, real recorded sounding drums. Yeah, about halfway through the song, there are these guitar bits mm-hmm. where just a single electric guitar... Uh, kind of squeals out uh, yeah, that's a little... Right. Yeah, there's uh, these gritty guitar riffs. Yeah, and yeah. then the whole band, it's like just the guitar on its own, maybe over the drum, mm-hmm. and then the whole band kind of responds to that. Uh, you've got a really neat clamping, stomping, snare type thing going on that, that my sons in the backseat like to clap along yeah. with. But by the last course, you've got the whole band playing along. At the same time, it's it also has a real, honest, natural sound band sound to it yes. as it's building up to this very powerful ending. Quite satisfying. Yeah, back to the lyrics for just a yeah, moment. Sure. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard, uh, of course, is a, a famous science fiction writer and? Uh, and the creator of Scientology. Scientology. In the 80s, when I heard L. Ron Hubbard, I mm-hmm. only thought of his fiction books, yep. not really of the Scientology. It wasn't sure. more until well into the 90s, I think, that that we started becoming so aware of Hollywood mm. and Scientology. Mm-hmm. But certainly the Oils could have been thinking about it. Yeah, they're smart guys. Oh yeah. They know what's going on. They know the deal. Um, but then it's followed up with this Superboy yeah. takes a plutonium, my lyric sheet says wife, but it sounds like he's his bride, bride to yeah. me on the, yeah. okay, who's Superboy? Well, yeah, exactly. When when I hear that, I kind of think of the, 
the whole here's Superman taking a wife that's made out of kryptonite type thing. And just this, these two things going together that just really shouldn't be there. And, and so that's the kind of image that I take from that lyric, even though that's not literally what it's saying. Yeah. And that pairs up well, I think with the whole idea of, Oh, here come the U S forces into your country. Yeah. It's not a very good marriage. Yeah, you don't want to take that for a bride. That's right. It's, it's the marriage of the two. Uh, a, a bad marriage, yep. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Plutonium wife, Superboy. I, that always evokes uh, Astro Boy, the old oh, Japanese yeah, yeah, cartoon, yeah. Uh, imagining him, this this innocent robot, you know, married married to the... To the bomb. To the bomb. Yeah. Yeah. In the shadows of Ban the Bomb, we live. You know what my favorite song on the album is? No. Maralinga. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's not the last song on the album. No, it isn't. It's the sec- third last song. It is. Before I I started kind of digging into the lyrics, just just like the opening few lines, I just found it really relatable. And before I knew that, you know, it was talking about this place where um, the indigenous people were removed so that they could do these nuclear tests, I was just reading... I come from a land of wide open spaces where the world turns around us and we just follow suit. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know what? Australia and Canada again, you know, yeah. they share so many similarities of these wide open spaces and these here, empty spaces, no people, exactly. no, or, no, I shouldn't say no people, no, but sparsely people. populated. Exactly. And, and the people who are there are the ones that Western society has either ignored or rejected yeah, exactly. like, like our indigenous people. The world does not revolve around Canada. The world yeah. doesn't revolve around Australia, Yeah, but it's just a really peaceful beginning to the song. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just really enjoyed it. it. It drew me into it and I, I quite enjoyed it musically. Yeah. And this is one of those moments that is more like uh, the oils from postcard that opening that I find. That guitar riff, that low guitar riff, that's almost certainly Martin Rotsey there. Okay. um, Which he just uh, does a lot of that very low guitar playing. Sure. uh, Like I'm talking about pitch here. Yeah. uh, Right at the bottom of the guitar range. And it always has, uh, that's kind of like a surf Oh yeah, a trademark yep. of surf rock. Yep, um, playing on those low E and A strings. Uh, yeah, lots on of the delay or echo yeah. happening there. Yeah, That's it's right. got that surf sound. The whole thing is just it's it's sparse. Yeah. It's um, atmospheric. It's it's not moody in a bad way. As you're saying, he's playing low a low riff, but it it's got this peaceful kind of vibe going on to me. Just mellow and laid back. Yeah, yeah, I can get really, I can really get into it, and it's not like the song just kind of just trundles along the same the whole way. Like yeah. you were mentioning, it's it's got to build up towards the the middle, and it, it kind of leads you to the edge almost. And yeah, you it's think almost it's going like, to go somewhere new actually, and it just whoosh, parts away, and and you're just left with the groove again. Yeah, yeah, and there's uh, these neat ghosty sounds. Uh, there's all these eerie, like when he's saying an eerie sound. There's some strange percussion in there. Yeah, and, and some there's these ghostly guitar. kind of sounds. Yeah, yeah. Around, an eerie 
There's all this kind of back and forth. The line's like, not much time, but time to try. Mm -hmm. And there's each time there's these little guitar responses, these little... Um, Lyrically, this is interesting. There's only God, there's only Christ. I think I'll lie down just for a while. Yeah. That line, that opened me up when I, I was like 14 when yeah. I first heard this album. Sure. And I was like, what? You can rhyme Christ and while? That's what's happening <laughs> yeah. here, right? They're, yeah. It's rhyming. Yeah, I, that was a pretty big, I guess, a big eye-opener for me. Like, well, what's the other really suspicious rhyme on this album i was i was thinking about you this morning as i was listening to this thinking you know robin is not the rhyming couplet master <laughs> not that you couldn't be you just don't go there when you're writing lyrics yeah if we're and talking about right my lyrics yeah rhyming's just not sometimes it happens but it doesn't yeah. need to and it can be very interesting when you don't go to the rhyme that you're expecting to be there yeah and and the oils really taught me that that you just you do not have to rhyme. Pete speaks lyrics in Maralinga. Quite a bit, yeah. Which is kind of neat. Um, he even speaks some lyrics that, that aren't in the lyric sheet. And the grass became wetter in the sky of black sheet. Our bed was a graveyard and we couldn't feel our wisdom feet. You bring up the biblical reference lyric in this song. Actually, I think there's a couple of them. There's only God, there's only Christ. Think I'll lie down for just a while or something like that. Yeah. And then it also um, quotes a proverb about uh, throwing your, not throwing your pearls before the swine. Yeah, throw the pearls before the swine, ebb and flow, turning tide. Yeah. Something that the oils don't fear to do is bring in spiritual lingo to their songs. Even though they don't explain everything that they're talking about, they're not afraid to... In fact, when you were talking, when you brought up that lyric, I was wondering if you were going to mention, oh, you know, you can actually bring up Christ in a song without trying to use it blasphemously or for shock value or something like that. Yeah, and at the same time without uh, necessarily being preachy yep. or anything, you know, it's it just is. I was wondering know, if um, some one of the things that they were maybe referring to in the song is um, Aboriginal dream time. In Outside World, they talk about the ghost gum. Yes. And I had to look this up. It's a, it's a type of tree. Yes. Um, yep. But apparently the ghost gum, because it's, it's pale white, that's why it's called the ghost gum, is um, part of indigenous spirituality in Australia. So like that last section all around an eerie sound, their dreams in cloud, their world in shrouds. You know, I was wondering, you know, maybe are they, are they bringing in some Aboriginal spirituality or just making reference to it? Because this is a song about the effects of removing the Aboriginal people from their land to have this nuclear testing site here. Do, do we need to talk about what is, what Maralinga is, Maralinga is? Yeah, well, we might as well mention that, yeah. like, just that it's a, an area south Aust in South Australia, just um, where uh, there were was, a, you know, Indigenous people on their traditional land and got removed uh, from it for mm -hmm. the sake of it. And, and you know, the song describes yep. the result of the nuclear tests that you're talking about these wide open spaces. Yep. And then the second verse is, in the wind, the ashes fly, the poison crown 
the the charcoal ground. Yep. Even uh, the white flags, those kind of reminded me of, I don't know if you've ever seen videos of nuclear tests where they set up like a bunch of flags so that they can tell like the direction and the strength of the blast and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. So thank you for explaining musically why I enjoyed the song so much. <laughs> yeah. Marilinga, I like this one the best on the album. Wow. It's, it's the song that, that I can just, I don't know, like maybe I was just in the mood for something a little bit more laid back this time you around. You sure and, were. Yeah. Really like <laughs> this one. I think one of our powder worker friends would say this is where the oils kind of lost their their way on 1098. I would you have to disagree. disagree. Yeah. No. no. Who's that? Uh. Shakespeare? I'll say you straight enter. <laughs> no, I won't. We'll, we'll just disagree. <laughs> yeah. Come on over. We'll have a beer. Yeah. We'll listen to Marilinga and just take it easy. <laughs> and, oh. On repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. Until you succumb. So we're doing the second side first, apparently. Yeah. Let's finish it off. We've got tin legs, and then we're going to take a look at somebody's trying to tell me something. Musically, it's just, we've got this again, uh, this kind of jazz setup where you got this piano and uh, bass, yep. uh, yeah. interestingly. And it's almost like a, like what you may hear in a jazz club or something mm-hmm. uh, in in a way. Garrett just singing over that piano and the stand-up bass, and then it builds up into this huge chorus of who's running the world today. Yeah, and that's that's basically the message of the song, asking the question. Yeah. I just want to highlight there's the snare. Basically, you got this orchestra, and then there's just a snare that hits all by itself. It's funny, throughout this whole album, I just don't feel like we're ever going to do this album justice yeah. talking about. We're not going to touch yeah. on everything because... No. And that's not what we necessarily are trying to do We're not here. necessarily trying to do that, but I feel like when, when I listen, keep talking about Postcard, I love yeah. Postcard, but there aren't all these little things throughout it that draw my attention. Uh, I, I'm more, I just kind of get lost in the... The vision of this of postcard. Yeah. When I listen to when I listen to this actively, there are just endlessly these little details that are remember that are very memorable. Yeah. So it's just bizarre to me that a snare, a single snare hit, can just have such an impact. But it does in this song. Yeah, for sure. This song also has the fun little I'm gonna wait till he knock on the door and then the little knock knock. Uh, an interesting little bass detail I forgot to mention during the bass part. I think there's deliberate bad bass notes where he's going a semitone below and then he is going to the correct note. Okay. And but it almost sounds like bad or wrong. Yeah. But he does it you know, twice in a row. I think he's deliberately doing that. I mean, sometimes sometimes you're going to put a little chromatic passing note in, mm-hmm. but this is a little stronger and more deliberate. Uh, it just sounds like, oh, he plays the wrong. Oh, there's the right note. Oh, the wrong note. Oh, <laughs> oh the right note. The right note yeah. Tin Lakes has just this uh, chord progression, probably just like a four chord chord progression. It keeps going many seconds into somebody's trying to tell me something. Yeah. But these wind chimes or something start coming in over Certainly top of it. Certainly not chimes. <laughs> Do you think they are wind chimes? 
I'm I'm going to say no. Those aren't chimes. They've learned their lesson. I think that they're kind of plucking the individual strings on the inside of the piano again. There. Okay. I think that's what we're hearing. Which I guess we never actually talked about yet, did we? We, or just we may in passing. not have. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So here's some inside of the piano, just plucking the strings as opposed to using the keys, which have a kind of like a hammer that hits um, a a group of strings, depending on Three, high, how or high one. or low. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. the lower you go, less. You can just open up the piano and reach in back and, and plunk little yeah. strings Especially if you want. Especially when it's a grand, a grand piano. I thought that um, somebody's trying to tell me something. It's, it's, it's nice for the head injuries, guys, that you can end with such a nice forceful song. Yeah. Um, rock and rolling. But it's also, this is kind of like the Sgt. Peppery song on the album. I was thinking, you know, it, it's kind of got this almost like a calliope music type sound going on. You've got the layered textures as well. You've got that at the very end, you've got that inner loop that just kind of holds that the the chorus of everybody singing that ah note forever and ever and ever yeah or at least it's morphed into synths by then i'm not sure it's actually voices but maybe it is sure yeah except on both of our u.s pressings from 1983 we just couldn't get it we don't get the endless loop to spin forever yeah on the cd version uh we have it plays about 30 seconds of that ending yeah loop and then it does it, it puts that nice effect in for us like oh we're just gonna that weird lyric towards the end of the song you got the intent the intensity of the song building up and then you've got this weird lyric that peter says doesn't quite sing it's not in the lyric sheet i'm not sure what he's saying it almost sounds like maybe he's singing Thou shalt not. You've got his big howling scream. Yeah, and then it continues, and he even gets to uh, scream and rant quite a bit. There's a guitar solo, but right before that, there's sort of this way I was calling the the Garrett solo. Let's uh, flip back to the first side of the album and touch on a couple of things that we need to, to touch on. Yeah, because the first side, of course, is full of hits. The album starts with Outside World. This is not what you would necessarily expect. It's not the big rockin' hit. Yeah, it's just loads of synths, and as we mentioned, the guitar is not heard until the, almost the very end of the song. It's setting the stage for the, the new sonics of 1098. Yes. Lyrically, I think it's about feeling trapped and looking from the inside of, of whatever cage you happen to be in at the outside world. I think that you've got the, uh, the author or the singer in this defensive posture. As I mentioned earlier, you know, we've got the uh, ghost gum. I had to look up what that was. Yeah, I, um, I knew that one. Yeah, the Lismore Road. Lismore being a, a city that was built in, in the Big Scrub, I think it was called, and, and actually probably took down a lot of the Big Scrub, this, this rainforest area. Um, the Mopoke mourns the racketeer. That's a Tasmanian owl. 
Yeah. So I think you're getting like these environmental concerns or at least referencing them. But yeah, I think, I think that the stance of the, of the singer is, is kind of this trap position, this caged position, looking out from where they are at this outside world. So is the inside world just Australia or is, is this, is this kind of what we were talking about at the beginning where this, this album is much more outward looking and is that why they open with outside oh, world yeah, sure. that, that we can't just look at our own world. We got to care about what's going on yeah, outside. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I just love that mumbly talk and that 353. Yeah. That low. But I just want to say it goes. If, if you know what that is, if we, that's we been on know. a mailing list somewhere and yeah. we haven't been able to pick it up. Is that is that tell us what it is yeah it transitions into only the strong and i think it's kind of paired with only the strong yeah they're overlapping songs again the chords from outside world continue uh underneath it right but then and then, then the power guitars comes in. and the head injuries crowd says oh yeah i <laughs> recognize the energy i'm here for the band. rock and and, and here, here it is, is. exactly i was gonna say i think there's like um a little bit of a connection thematically between the two songs oh, as well being locked in your room and i kind of added brackets to the end of the title of the song to, to try to figure out you know okay what, yeah. what are we talking about here only the strong only the strong what only the strong survive only the strong survive exactly yeah. and i think that's kind of the message of this song oh and i wanted to tell you yeah i know the first time i heard this song i, I have a distinct memory of the first time i heard the song yeah I went to the mall one evening yeah. in Thunder Bay. Thunder Bay Mall. Intercity Mall. Oh, Intercity. Picked up the tape. Yeah. My dad picked me up from the mall. We were in his truck. And can I listen to my new tape, Dad? Yeah. Sure. Popped it in the tape deck and Outside World played. And it's like, okay, there's this weird song, this, you know, atmospheric, spacey, whatever it is. Yeah. And then... This song, which was such a contrast, and it sounded so loud and so angry, and yes. it's like, oh, I kind of feel a little bit embarrassed yeah. listening to this with my dad oh, in the so, truck on the sorry, way. Sorry, Dad. Exactly. For, do you remember how your dad reacted? Or? Not at all. I don't think he reacted. Yeah, at all. Like, yeah just, my, uh, my son's listening to some music. Yeah, yeah and and maybe we point out that because we were listening to the Oils back, we started with Diesel and Dust, then got. May, like whether or not we got red sales or 1098 first, but mm-hmm. it's one of these two. Yep. So we were coming from the the relative safety and yeah. mainstreaming mainstreaminess of diesel uh, back to this. Yeah. And, and head injuries wasn't something we had encountered yet. I really liked the super processed symbols. And right off the hop... You, you get these symbols and they've got this phasing wash and it's almost like they recorded them separately. They definitely mic'd them separately so that they could process them. Throughout the whole album, this overly processed, almost drum sound, yeah. um, the use of the electronic kit. Maybe I should have talked about it when we were talking about drums earlier. <laughs> The question could be asked to a drummer. You got to hit your 20 minute quota on drums. <laughs> exactly. Drum so let's talk some more. Yeah. What do you, what do you think about like all the electronic drums and how much it's processed and stuff? And do you like it? And would you like to play that? And even as we were talking with place without a postcard, the drum assist of, 
uh, yeah, technique the, the that they use. I do like this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't get to play this kind of stuff. I don't do a lot of recording. When I play, I, I'm usually just playing live. But this stuff does appeal to me. And I think that if, if I had the opportunity to, to someday record and be in a neat studio and have all these fun effects and be able to yeah. play, I, think, I don't know that I would do well with it. But it definitely appeals to me, and I like it. Yeah, yeah, it, it is appealing. It certainly wasn't appealing to me in the 90s when I was getting into grunge and everything. Sure. I was like, oh, keyboards, well, oh, drum yeah. machines. But that's what grunge was all about, rejecting a yeah. lot of that, the the shininess of the 80s. Yeah. Uh, but now, again, I do appreciate it. I Fight Dragons that I like a lot mm-hmm. uh, blends, you know, kind of your normal kind of college rock with Nintendo sounds. Oh, yeah. And so they'll sit up these loops and then play on top of it. But their drummer, they've got a real live drummer, yep. but he's got to be in sync with all that yeah. uh, pre-programmed electronic stuff. Yeah. So that'd be the same kind of challenge for, oh, yeah. for you. And that would definitely be a challenge for me. Lots of fun surf tremolo type stuff going on with yes. the guitar. I think this is where I I became aware of tremolo mm-hmm. guitar and love it to this day. Oh, yeah. And what is tremolo, Darren? Tremolo is usually the rapid increase and decrease of apparent volume. Yeah, or actual volume. Uh, or actual yeah. volume, yeah. Yeah, and, and in a way, I think it's considered the first, uh, except for distortion, mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically the first guitar effect ever invented. And it's just yeah. very simply varying the volume relatively rapidly yeah. uh, through automatic control. So your yeah. volume, it, it gives it that pulsy yeah. sound. One more day of eating and sleeping. Really like the howling guitar that you hear a couple times in the song. Kind of gives me that caged animal vibe, and I think that's what also helps me link this song with Outside World and the whole defensive caged posture. Well, maybe just the the lyrics. When When I'm I'm locked locked in in my my room. room. (laughs) Well, you know what? When I was young, I I didn't immediately go to the fact that somebody has locked me in a room. I, I took it as a, I'm locking myself in my room, ah. you know, you know, seeking refuge or whatever. So mom and dad keep hassling me. <laughs> exactly, man. I'm locking myself in the room. I had a really good childhood. Mom and dad did not <laughs> hassle me, but I took it. I took it in that perspective. Peter Garrett has some vocals that almost remind me of his harmonica sound. Yeah. And so I guess that's teaching me that a lot of the sound of harmonica comes from the players i guess the shape of their head and their mouth and stuff like that because that so? that affects your voice right so like you think his harmonica playing is unique enough and you're hearing it in his voice when he's just well yeah when um, he, when, when he's singing yeah I'll, <laughs> I'll play you i'll play you the vocal bit right here yeah When I hear that, at, at least at the very beginning, I'm wondering, oh, is that harmonica or is that Pete? Yeah. And so I, I can hear the... And yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, yeah, do you think it could be mixing yeah. two things 
it's like a hybrid human harmonica. I, I wouldn't put it past this album to yep. to mix a couple things, to layer a couple things on top of each yeah, other. That might happen. Yeah. And then finally, there's that acoustic guitar right near the end. Oh, yeah. That just, it just goes wide. It's like this such intense song. Yeah. And, uh, and then this acoustic guitar comes and you feel like you're flying or something. Mm-hmm. You're... You are out of the, you're out of the locked room, yeah, I guess. Yeah, sure. And then uh, we mentioned that melodic bass that gets to start playing along, but I want to say it again because mm-hmm. I really like that. And lots of fun drums. Yeah. Lots and lots of really yeah. good drums. Maybe, maybe I'm just going to say only The Strong is my favorite song on this album. You wouldn't get criticism from me. Who's going to complain? I, Shakespeare. I, no, I think this would be one of the ones he likes better. Well, we'll see. Short memory and read about it. Um, okay. A couple songs that... As we were talking earlier, as I was mentioning earlier, easy songs just to, to rapid fire throw a bunch of issue type things at you, hoping that something is going to stick to you and something is going to get picked up and you're going to take action from it. To me, these are a couple songs that are easy to listen to and just feel angry about, even, even without not necessarily knowing what specifically I'm feeling angry about or yeah. what I'm supposed to feel angry about because of the song. But yeah, it's just oh, yeah, things aren't right, and I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm mad about this kind of songs. Yeah. Very effective that way. That's right. Short memory, um, obviously, just taking a look at all the mistakes that we as humans have made in the past, particularly uh, Westerners moving into areas, exploiting uh, resources, exploiting people, um, and just not learning from these mistakes and doing the same stupid things over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We get, um, musically, we get that, the inside of the piano yes. being plucked away in this song. Yeah, it sort of sounds like a harp. And again, we have this kind of sparse piano. This does have a long guitar solo, and we were talking about, like, how the Eastern influence this is yeah. sort of like, well, like George Harrison, sure. what he brought to the Beatles, yep. right? Yep. Same kind of thing here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's exotic. Me, it's, it's foreign. Let's not play with a traditional time signature here. It's three, four song. Um, just something a little bit different than yep. your traditional rock and roll song. We both liked a couple times in the song. There's this really cool soaring siren type guitar sound i likened it to maybe like an air raid siren or yeah, something yeah do we like know that. it's a guitar how do you know it's oh, a guitar actually no we don't know it's a guitar yeah. it could very easily be a keyboard yeah and it probably is a keyboard when i'm playing the song as i'm out for my walks yeah it's i'm always air guitaring air i just, guitaring I just pluck and i bend you the bend neck that. oh <laughs> man <laughs> that's <laughs> how you get, get the whole octave out of it you're bending <laughs> exactly read about it again throwing lots of things at you lots of things that you can get angry about stating the problem no one ever tells me so what am i to know 
you wouldn't read about it. We talked earlier about the secret nuke testing and stuff. We're talking about war. We're talking about the U.S. getting in there with the stars and stripes. Yeah. We've got pollution in there. We've got economic disparity in, in our list of things to be angry about. Yeah. Where are we going to find the real facts behind things? How are we going to find out why these problems are starting and how we're going to solve them? Read about it as one of those ones that can just, it's trying to get you angry so that you can take action. I don't know if it's entirely clear when you just listen to the song that they're saying you wouldn't read about it. Yeah, you if, just hear read about if it. You, yeah, if you just hear read about it, it's like you guys should read the newspaper more and then you would know. But in fact, they're saying there's all kinds of all kinds of things go on in the world that don't you get covered about or at least didn't get covered in the 80s. And maybe this is something that the internet truly has changed, mm-hmm. possibly. Possibly. With uh, the Twitters and the YouTubes and all that, yep. that you may, maybe we're getting more of the truth. But at the same time, there's this so-called fake news mm-hmm. that we're getting. So, But you know what's fun about this song? Seven four-time signature, four four-time signature, six four-time signature, back to a seven-four. Is that all going on there? It, everything's going on in this song. It's fantastic. I don't notice it at all. And I'm just a dumb bass player. Are you playing all the root notes? Good. You're That's doing your job. That's what you need to do. It's even got the, the, the gap in the song. Do, 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 do. Two, three, four. Except nobody's counting into nobody's it. Nobody's counting. Not on the album. Rob yeah. probably is. Yeah. I, when I've seen them play it live, you can kind of get a hint that he's banging his drumsticks for everybody to come back in together. That's kind of legendary. And in fact, in some cases, they take a really long pause when they do this live. Like, oh yeah, like you I know, can like, imagine like that. twenty second long kind of dumb smoke break. Long. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lots of fun hand claps for the kids sitting in the back seat. Yeah, everybody's doing the hand claps. Getting your wood block in there. There's cowbell in this song. I think. Yeah, it could be cowbell, not a woodblock. I would put both in. Yeah. This kind of backs right up with Screamin' Blue. They basically overlap as well. Yeah. Uh, or at least um, there's no silence between the two tracks. Mm-hmm. Go straight into Screamin' And finally, yeah. since the Blue Meanie, we haven't had a proper love song. And we get one with Screamin' Blue. Or do we? Or do we? Is it a love song? Or is it just a song about a one-night stand or is it about either of those things oh maybe it's not about either of them you get three or four songs in one with scream and blue and you've definitely got this instrumental song that yeah. happens before you get to the lyrics it's, it's interesting lyrically it's a tiny little song mm-hmm. and yet this does have how many how many different songs do you think are in this i think that i was saying that there's like four different songs you've got your instrumental song to start it out with yeah. you've got your love song then you've got what i call part three where the big guitars kind of enter into it and then you've got your minute of random interior of the piano happening for part four at the end did we talk about the thunder drums during your drum part we did yeah okay 
talking about other things that are brought back or, or we're, we're, re, we're, we're seeing again or hearing again from other songs, you've kind of got that siren uh, sound happening again in this song. Yeah, the stand-up bass shows up again in here. Or maybe we're introduced to the stand-up bass because we're going to oh. listen. Because normally people listen to side one first. Oh, what a weird idea. I know, eh? Okay, so song one is all the crazy guitar with acoustic guitars talking back. Oh, this is where the the Spanish flamenco... Yeah, yeah, totally. In in part one. How about that big vacuum sound halfway through that two minutes? At the end of the instrumental bit where we were just building up and building up and building up and then just everything just gets sucked up. Yeah, what's with that sound? How do they do that? Yeah, big build up though towards the end of that instrumental bit with the raunchy guitar and the bass and that shaking the tambourine type thing going on there. Yeah. And it drops out and you've got this piano. And I want us to take some time to really point out Peter Garrett's voice in this song. When yes. when I was listening to this, I was saying, wow. Like, because we talked about Pete screaming and making his funny noises yeah. and his incomprehensible lyrics and stuff like that. But Screamin' Blue, his voice just sounds so nice. It's so full and round and... Pete is just sounding like a great singer in <laughs> yeah, this song. What's with that? <laughs> I know. You who don't, knew? Who knew? But it's here. Yeah. Nick uh, did mention that he worked really hard with Garrett at times. Okay. He said, Garrett's not all that great with pitch, he said, <laughs> but that, you know, it's no secret. And uh, Pete is quite was quite willing to work hard mm-hmm. at nailing those parts. This is the pre-auto-tune days. Sure. And uh, to work hard and get it right. I don't want to say it's his best performance yet because he performs well. Like what he does, he does well, whether yeah. it's screaming or mumbling or making noises that we don't understand. Yeah. But as far as I'm singing a love song here or whatever I'm singing about, yeah. you know, he's just got a really beautiful voice in this song. So I'd like to think that this song is about something more sinister. Mm-hmm. Could this be Australia collaborating with the USA sure. like that? Is that it totally could be. Yeah. Is is that what this is about? Rather than it being a personal an actual personal upside. It, it, this is this is about fitting about, thematically in with the rest of the album. Yeah. Totally could. Yeah, and even when I'm saying, you know, that that we're getting a love song, I'm joking around with it because at the best, it sounds like a one-night stand type thing. Could Scream in Blue be, if the first four songs, Outside World, Only the Strong, Short Memory, and Read About It, mm-hmm. all four, like the first two we were talking about, we're stuck in, stuff's yep. going on out there. Yep. We're uh, in our cage looking at the outside world, yeah. seeing what's going on around the world. Short Memory is all about all the past mistakes that have ever happened. Yep read about it is all the things that do happen that we don't know about yep now there's suddenly this kind of love song yep and it goes into the second side which you know we've yep. already talked about 
And the second side, we definitely agree there's a huge theme there, is Screamin' Blue about Australia, Australian politicians being in bed with the U.S. They're selling. With the U.S. and the U.K. Yeah, and that's right. Yeah, not only the U.S., but with with the powers, is it about that there's a deal? I could kill for this one time and not be caught. That's a a really interesting way to look at it. Screamin' Blue really ties together. Sure, yeah. It, it could stand alone as this not love song, or it could just fit in with the whole album. Yeah. It's yeah. like where it, le- it directly leads yeah, that's to, great. to the problems I'll describe inside too. I think it does give me a new perspective on the album, mm-hmm. that there definitely is a, a bigger message here. Right on. So, final thoughts on the album. And basically, this is the point where we decide it's time to play the game. We've got, we both have in our hands Place Without a Postcard. We have the opportunity to throw it in the bin and take 1098 with us or to keep Place Without a Postcard. Oh, this this is killing me. I seriously haven't decided yet. Yeah, and I, I have to say, I, I mentioned it last time, uh, Place Without a Postcard definitely became my favorite album you know around i don't know 2010 or something like that i just realized boy do i ever like this album yep i love the journey it takes me on i love the yeah i just absolutely love it it's got lucky country on it well yes it does so that's where i'm coming from but i have to admit i listened okay yeah i've made my decision so i'll let you deliberate okay i'm deliberating and then I'll let you know. No, no, I'll let you. I don't want to affect your decision. I might need you to affect my decision because I might not be able to make up my mind. I think where they were going with Place Without a Postcard, I really love the direction they were going with that. I like the songs on Place Without a Postcard. I may like some of them even better than the songs on 1098. I think they executed 1098 better than they executed Place Without a Postcard they have continued down that road that they were going with from head injuries to place without a postcard to 1098. I like that direction. I feel that there's more energy behind 1098. I'm going to take 1098 and leave place without a postcard in the trash heap. Oh, in the trash heap. You had to say that. So what are you going to (laughs) do? Are you going to rescue it? Oh, boy. Are you going to kick your favorite album to the curb like a little puppy? I had to say that it was my favorite album, and then I became kind of undecided mm-hmm. again. I listened to Postcard so much that maybe I became a bit tired of it. Not tired of the songs, but tired of... felt like there wasn't any more for me to get from it right so it doesn't mean like i don't oh, i don't like it anymore that's a dumb oh, yeah, or whatever course. i'm yeah. not i'm not shredding my copy of yeah. place without a we postcard. don't actually have to but but for the sake of this game okay say i was on a desert island with my one record i could listen to yep but i still had like a guitar or my memory or something then i feel like postcard could live on i could sit there and like hum <laughs> postcard whatever you need to make your decision (laughs) (laughs) but uh 
but 1098 has so many details that keep my mind interested in musically and so okay, on. Okay, how about this then? Yeah. Just trying to help Robin out here. Yeah. What oh. if you kept postcard because you knew in two weeks you've got red sales? Not to ruin the game ahead of time, but okay, I, then I let's f- not go there then. I feel un- it would be unlikely that red sales could beat out 1098 for me. Well, I feel, but maybe I'll feel different after listening intently to Red Sales. But I, I don't know. Tune in next week when Robin makes a decision. When finally makes a decision. Oh, I'm going to play the dumb game and just, oh, oh, oh ten nine eight. What are you going to do with it? Oh, take it. <laughs> Reluctantly. Oh, oh yeah. Are you happy with that what, decision? What a dumb game. What a <laughs> stupid game. No, I'm not happy, but, but I think I am doing it. I Final think... thoughts on the album. Okay. What, fi- what made you take it? Okay, why am I taking 1098? Why, why do you like 1098? I like 1098 because in two weeks of pretty intense listening, I still am discovering new things about it. Not just two weeks of listening ever. I mean, I've been listening yeah, oh, to yeah. it for 30, 30 years, years and then intensely again for two weeks. Uh, I'm still discovering new stuff about it. There's there's just so much there. Yeah. There's so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I cannot so disagree with I, you. I do feel like I've been beguiled by the studio trickery. But there there's such arrangements. There's just so much there. You don't have to feel bad about taking it. Yes, I do. I do have to feel bad. I'm sorry to all my, my postcard-loving powder workers. I apologize if I, I let team team postcard down. Think about the head injuries crowd. Oh, yeah. And with that, it's time to retract the stylus, slide the vinyl back into its sleeve, and say goodnight until next time when we'll be listening to The Oil's 1984 studio album, Red Sails in the Sunset, on Comfortable Place on the Couch of Midnight Oil podcast. Remember, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to Comfortable Place on the Couch wherever you find good podcasts. And you can get in touch with us at Darren the Folds and also on Twitter <laughs> at Robin Harbron. Show notes are online at darrenfolds.com slash podcasts. So for Robin Harbron. <laughs> so for Robin Harbron, I'm Darren Folds. Good night. Good night. Enjoy 1098. Oh, thanks. You're stuck with it, buddy. Bah.